A lot of us grow up with many messages from society, from outside of us that dictate what beauty should look like in a very narrow standard that is not, it's not true. And I think if you're on a process or a journey to discover the beauty within, it's, it's really a lifelong ongoing process of unlearning a lot of these messages. Hello, beauty. Yes, you. Join me, host, Joyce Platon as I chat with today's beauty, wellness, and lifestyle visionaries. Let's discover their motivating journey together as I merge my love for the art and my passion in revealing one's true inner beauty. With everything that's going on lately, I'm even more strict about strengthening my immune system. It's not enough to take supplements because I'm never sure how much of it I'm actually absorbing. That's why I love getting IV infusion therapy at Radiant Beauty Skincare Med Spa in Anaheim. They offer a full line of state-of-the-art treatments and services as well as various IV infusion therapies. They are all administered by skilled medical and aesthetic professionals. My other go-to favorite treatments are Aerolase, Laser, and Hydrafacial. And friends, all these treatments are at an affordable price. They always have promos, so you can check them out on Instagram at Radiant Beauty Skincare Med Spa or book your appointment with Francis at www.radiantbeautymd.com. Hey there, Joyce Baton here and welcome to Hello Beauty. Today's special guest is Dara Y. Wu. Backed by a decade of experience in the industry, Sarah is a beauty editor, copywriter, consultant, and Forbes senior contributor. She helps clients with their editorial creative direction, improve their brand DNA, and build consumer engagement. Welcome to Hello Beauty, Sarah. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Before we hit record, we were just connecting on how much this conversation is going to be so exciting. I'm really such admirer of your work because you having this platform as a senior contributor for Forbes and working in the beauty industry for over 10 years, you do have your finger on the pulse in the beauty industry. But before we get to the nitty gritty. Talk to us about your background for the benefit of the listeners. Yeah, the feeling is mutual. I'm a huge admirer of your work and your platform too. Um, I've done a lot of different things in beauty. So as you said, I'm, I've been with Forbes for a while now as a beauty contributor. I used to do men's grooming for them as well when they first mm -hmm. launched the lifestyle vertical. I think this was in 2000, 2014, maybe. It's been a while. It's been a long time. And I used to be full-time at Team Vogue. I was their beauty features editor. So I headed up our beauty department on digital and the work I did there was very, very special to me. I did our first um, ever Asian Pacific American Heritage Month package over there. I did oh. our first two acne awards over there, which was the Team Vogue Take on Beauty Awards in a very acne, maybe not acne positive way because I think acne is something, especially if you have cystic acne, it's something that you grapple with and it's not realistic to say, I'm gonna wake up every day feeling great about this. But just as with, there's this body neutrality movement, I think that's the approach we were trying to take to acne. And um, I had a very, I mean, I had the most amazing colleagues there and I really, many of my career highlights happened in that place. Um, and before that, I'm kind of going backwards now, but, I was also a beauty editor at Lifestyle Mirror, which is a site that is not even around anymore, but it was sort of the beginning of when um, sites like Refinery29 were coming around with this concept of e-com and beauty and being able to shop things instantly. And uh, before that, <laughs> I was uh, a contributor for 
some beauty blogs like Temptalia and Makeup and Beauty Blog. I had my own site as well. I was in this crew of Canadian beauty bloggers. I've never lived in Canada in my life, but it just happened that way. Wow. Um, after I left Teen Vogue, I moved to Germany and I've been freelance ever since. So on the editorial side, I work with publications like Glamour. We just, I just finished doing beauty awards with them, which was, it's always um, a lot. And then I also work with Birdie and Forbes, of course. And then on the copywriting brand side, I'm freelancing the editorial director role at Milk Makeup right now. And I also work with Glow Recipe and Derm Store and Color Wow and a couple other brands, but it's, I'm always mixing up somehow and always busy. So I kind of um, have seen many different aspects of the beauty industry from the digital side to you know what goes on at a magazine and editorial publication and then on the brand side I get to see product development I get to see uh, mess brand messaging and everything like that so I really feel like I've had a very full view of the beauty industry. As someone who has their finger on the pulse of the beauty industry you've really seen and experienced everything from the trends, what's coming up, what's hot, what's in, and even some issues that you've probably been aware of, you know, just work on the brand side. I want to get your thoughts about oh, this because I mean, lately it's just been very like, it's just, I'm at loss for words of what, what's been going on lately with the uh, Asian American hate crimes. And we all know that it's not a new thing. It's been happening, but I mean, even just like, there's like a tremble in my voice because I, in a sense, I'm happy that a lot of people are bringing up their experiences from all walks of life because we really need to hear these stories. And I have been surprised that even our own Asian American Pacific Islander community, some of them are not aware of these hate crimes, right? We probably have this characteristic of just keeping our heads down and focusing on our work and focusing on what we do. So sometimes we don't hear about it. So it's good that it's a really gaining traction and awareness but being in the beauty industry you're exposed to these brands and we have been witnessing such a massive saturation of the Asian beauty tools and skincare practices in the beauty industry what are your thoughts about this well it's a lot it's a lot to unpack. yeah <laughs> I'm in the same boat as you and a lot of our other colleagues right now like I'm I'm fucking exhausted I mm. it's it was horrible seeing all these hate crimes happening, not just during this year, but really before, but, you know, during a time when we felt like it was really reaching a boiling point and, and feeling like we were still being silenced. I don't know if I, I know what you mean that um, in, in some sort of cultural aspect, we do have these values of, of working hard. I think that's an immigrant mentality for a lot of mm -hmm. us that brought up as, you know, maybe first generation in, in the US. But um, I also think that ties into the model minority myth though. I, I think a lot of us have been organizing and being activists and, and our, our culture has been loud for a long time. It's just, you know, this model minority myth that seeks to portray us in a way that I don't think is accurate. And I think it's very limiting. Um, and as far as some people not knowing what's going on, I think we also have to acknowledge that there's a language barrier for a lot of people. And I remember reading also many resources that were saying, you know, the reason why a lot of our communities don't get funding is because of that language barrier. So I think we also have to keep that in mind when we talk about this. Um, mm -hmm. 
And then as far as the beauty space, of course, this also intersects because beauty, beauty and work, you know, it's, it's not existing in a vacuum. It's not separate from these issues. And I'm also interested to get your take on this, but I, I have seen, you know, there's definitely this rise, like you were saying, in Asian beauty tools, like face rollers, like gua sha, and, mm-hmm. um, you know, I think I'm trying to remember what else, what else were you bringing up? Um, like bee notes. venom, bee venom as right. an ingredient, snail in all these serums, right? Um, silicone brushes. Yeah. Right. The, the big issue with these, um, the way these products are being talked about now is that there is such a disconnect, I think, from their origins. And there's also the, the way that a lot of brands phrase their messaging about this is that they're somehow improving on these practices by cutting them off from their cultures and their roots. And I think that implication that these are things that need to be improved in order to become more palatable to a Western audience is the problem. Because, you know, I when I did gua sha when I was a kid, it was like with soup spoons. Like we used soup spoons and we used coins to do it. And it was not mm-hmm. like something you put on Instagram. And I think it's fine if it evolves into something you want to put on Instagram. But I have a problem with the suggestion that, you know, you're somehow making this practice better or you're making it mm-hmm. more palatable there's just a disrespect that comes across when that is the way that you frame it and additionally when the way you frame it is completely not acknowledging where this came from and i think on top of that you know a lot of people just they they can't even they sell this but they can't even say the words they don't know how to pronounce it or they don't even put in that effort to do the research and that to me is kind of jarring to see, you know, I'm, I can't, like, I, I keep thinking about, um, which I think we've all seen now, the Mahjong line, like, you know, yes. this that we have to strip away the cultural background and then suggest that this is now better because we took that cultural element away. So now we're kind of framing it for, you know, Western audience and, that makes it more high end somehow. And this is kind of the problem that I have with these beauty tools. I'm interested to see what you what you think about this as well. My main issue and what I have just been noticing is that it seems that across all board, like what you said, like the Mahjong line or even the beauty industry or fashion industry, I feel like westernized marketing just aims to entertain and capitalize and earn money instead of educating and demystifying our culture and our practices. That's where the disconnect happens. And like what you've mentioned, to make it more palatable or cherry pick certain quote unquote cute traits that they right, think. Like, oh, this one. Yeah. Yes. Like, oh, I think this is interesting. This will definitely be a clickbait and this is what will catch everyone's attention. But let me mask it or sugarcoat it with something that is more agreeable to the majority. Don't forget that these are these are businesses. You're you're capitalizing Mm -hmm. off culture. And I don't know. I, I think we we can't forget that there's that financial element involved. Because at the end of the day, you're making this money off a cultural practice that you're not treating respectfully. And then in addition, what are you doing for that community that you're essentially taking from? 
And in a lot of these instances, I don't see people doing anything for these communities. And this is what really is, I mean, it bothers me. And I think that this is something that people need to think more closely about. No one is saying you can't do it, but keep in mind that you're profiting off of it. You might want to think a little bit more, I think, about your messaging and also the intent behind it. Do you think that beauty brands have a responsibility to educate people about where they source their materials from, especially when it comes from other cultures and ethnicities? I think they do, especially when you are profiting off that culture Mm -hmm. or ethnicity. I think you have that responsibility to be as transparent as possible. And it's not even just that the brand has the responsibility, but people will want to know, I think. And I, I feel like this may have been something that's accelerated by social media and the digital age that we're in, but now there's not this sort of, um, I think there's not this sort of desire for exclusivity as much anymore. It used to be like, you know, we give you the product, but everything behind the scenes remains behind the scenes. I think mm-hmm. there's curiosity now to know, well, what is going on behind the scenes? Because as a consumer, that's important to me as well to know how these products are being sourced, how they're being made. Are you paying proper respect when you're selling these products? And I think that if a brand respects their consumers, that is something that they have a responsibility to do because the information is going to get out there anyway. So, you know, you can either communicate it or people are going to find out. Consumers nowadays are more savvy. They really choose brands that fit their values and what they believe in. So I think that's what I love about this whole movement of finding out and just learning more about the brand itself. And I think that's why before brand names are just brand names, but now founders are the face of the brand. So I I really enjoy that aspect of the beauty industry. Yeah, I think founders are becoming, they're coming more to the forefront and they're sharing their stories as well. And there are, there are a lot of brands that I admire so much because the founder is very vocal about certain issues or brings their background to the brand in a certain way that I really admire. And I think we're seeing more of that now. And I think that's a great thing. I would love to see it from, you know, not just small, small indie brands, but big ones as well. As a beauty writer, have you ever experienced any crazy type of request from a brand? Meaning like you had to do an overhaul on like copyright because you're just like, no, 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 no. This is very problematic. (laughs) I've done projects for sure before. Mm -hmm. Um, I do think when you work on the brand side, you realize how many stages things have to go Mm -hmm. through. You know, it's, it's so many like cogs in the wheel that people don't see to get something written on a product package, packaging, or to get something written on the website. Um, I do, I am very careful, I guess, with, and I'm lucky that I can be uh, a little bit selective with the brands I work with. And generally, I like to work with people who have a brand mission and values that I, I'm aligned with. And I'm like, I, I wouldn't, you know, for example, if, if I felt like someone was culturally appropriating, I don't know that that's a brand I would have any interest in working with and telling mm-hmm. them what they're doing wrong. Um, but there are brands who have values that I'm aligned with and, and the ask is kind of more, how can we do even better? And mm-hmm. I think those are projects I'm more interested in because the intent is already there and maybe they need someone to help, you know, bring another perspective onto where they could be going. I have, um, 
I have a friend that I met at Teen Vogue and we became really, really good friends, um, Kalia Hargrove, who owns this agency called Backstory Consulting. And what she does is really, it's something I really admire, but she basically does diversity and inclusion consulting with fashion and beauty brands. And she's also selective with the project she works on. I mean, it's, it's brands that are already in that space or already want to get there and you know, are working with her in a respectful way to say, how can we do even better? And how can we make sure what we want to communicate is getting across in the right way? And I feel like I, she's done incredible projects and I'm also kind of in that mind space where I wanna see that you do have this intent to do something good and you are approaching it respectfully. And then of course we can talk, but if, if you know, your company is just like lighting trash yeah. fires everywhere, I, I don't know. <laughs> thing I want to be a part of. I want to hear your thoughts on the K-beauty and J-beauty craze. I feel like for me, it seems like it's the ideal type of beauty in the beauty industry. What are your what thoughts you on that? ideal type of beauty? So as a Filipina, right. I feel like how it's marketed, it's also stems back to colonialism lighter skin is more ideal well back in the day they don't have a big range of like shades of makeup in korea and japan because it's just what they produce there right yeah i'm i'm taiwanese american and i remember growing up in taiwan whenever i went to watson's which was like the the drugstore chain there you would see like one or two foundation shades three max, three was like, wow, <laughs> they're expanding their shade range. And it was yeah. just strange to me because it actually wasn't reflective of the range of skin tones among Taiwanese people growing up. And mm -hmm. I just, you know, what if like, this doesn't make any sense because this doesn't even reflect, like, even if you just look around the store right now, this is exactly. Um, and I think I feel two ways about it because on one hand, I am very inspired by a lot of K-beauty and J-beauty founders. I think it's amazing that they've done as much as, they, as they've been able to do in the U.S. market and bring a different perspective there. On the other hand, um, I think that, well, I can't speak for every Asian beauty market, but I know mm -hmm. like at least I can say in the Taiwanese beauty market, we have our own issues of colorism and limited shade ranges that I think um, sometimes when these get imported into the US beauty market, you see kind of the same issues trickle down in a way. And the other thing is that K-beauty really took off in the US, which is great, you know, it, it's great for these founders, it's great for these brands and I love to see mm -hmm. it. On the other hand, the way that media covers K-beauty or the way that a lot of, I don't know, like influencers, social media cover it, um, it's kind of feeding into this, this myth that Asians are a monolith. And it, mm -hmm. a lot of people kind of conflate K-beauty with Asian beauty as a whole. And that's not, I mean, that's not realistic and, and that's not true. And it leaves out and erases a whole range of cultures that are not, are suddenly, you know, kind of lumped into this narrative, but erased at the same time. And to your point, you know, maybe you don't see yourself reflected in some of these things. I think a lot of K-beauty as, as skincare, it probably was the smartest move to enter the US market because skincare is something that is more universal. But, you know, as we can see in a lot of the marketing, 
what we see in K-beauty marketing in the U.S. is so different from what I would see in Asia with, mm-hmm. you know, the range of skin tones and the models and everything. And I think it's good to see that when they bring it to the U.S., there's more consideration with of, of diversity and showing a range of cultures and experiences. Um, but at the same time, I think there's room for so much more. There, there's room to spotlight so many other cultures here. And I won't put that on K-beauty and J-beauty. I, I would put that more on the industry as a whole. Yeah, no, I totally agree. This is based on my experience and my personal opinion. Uh, when my friends talk about it, you know, just the fact that K-beauty and J-beauty is quote unquote the end thing and type of beauty and type of skincare that we should get, get into because publications like Birdie, Allure, Teen Vogue could be like our Bible and that's where we get all our beauty news. We see marketing materials that only reflect certain types of skin tones and certain types of beauty. So now we question, will this be applicable to us? But we just can't help but have that feeling, you know, of sometimes, you know, when you admire someone, you can't help but want to emulate them, right? So it's like you want to just like, okay, now you're aspiring it's like it, it blurs the line between like aspiring to be like maybe someone you're not. It could be very controversial or just maybe plainly admiring. But what I love about the K-beauty and the J-beauty industry gaining more traction in the Western field is there is actually more room for other Asians to enter the market. And I think that's the positive side of that I see with it. Yeah, I remember when K-beauty really took off in the U.S. And it was like, it's great to see suddenly all mm-hmm. these brands, all of this technology and also to give a spotlight to the brand founders too, because there are so many that I admire, like Charlotte Cho mm-hmm. and Yoon, you know, with uh, Soko Glam, then I met you, Peach and Lily, and um, Glow Recipe as well. And I think they're always very adamant about speaking up for, you know, API issues and also making sure that their social feeds, their marketing, and just like their brand as a whole is inclusive and. I think that's something that I don't see with a lot of these brands when we're in Asia. I don't see that, you know, and I think that's a great step forward. Um, I just don't want the industry in general to tokenize like K-beauty as the end all and be all for Asian beauty. And I want there this to be, like you said, a step forward for more perspectives to come through and more cultures to enter the market rather than, okay, like we tick this box off. And then we're just going to call it a day now. What do you think we can do being part of the beauty industry to, I know there, we cannot resolve the problem overnight, but what can we do in our own little ways being part of the beauty industry? I think a lot of it, I've been thinking about this a lot lately, right? Because everything feels so overwhelming right now. And you kind of think I want to do more all the time, but you know, Mm. there's limits, there's limits to what I can do, but also what can I do in my own circle that makes the most impact. I think it's different for everyone. But for me, it's really been community that has been the biggest for me, just coming together as an AAPI community in beauty and having a lot of these conversations offline with each other or, you know, because I don't know that social media is always the best platform for a productive dialogue. It's I've seen also a lot of things get lost over the past couple. I agree. Yeah. And I think having one-on-one conversations or like we're doing now, like we, like we have in our group chat. Yeah. I think that has really been for me, the, the way that I feel like we're moving forward the most is to share our experiences, 
share, you know, the challenges that we come up against and how we move through them, how we, you know, the problems that we see in the industry and also what we do individually to help. I think this information sharing inside our community has been the thing that makes me feel most like, you know, we're moving forward toward a better future. I think on, for me personally, and I'm curious to hear your take as to what mm -hmm. you feel is the most impactful for you in your career, but I, I think the most, the, the time that I felt like this is the most, I'm very happy with what I've been able to do was when I did that package that I mentioned for Teen Vogue, because when I put out the call for pitches, I was like, I don't want this to be another, you know, 10 makeup tips for model lids and like SKB mm. products. Like I want to tell more stories than that. And definitely I, I will say like those kinds of packages are not easy to get approved because they probably aren't going to make the most money and have the most traction for brands. But I felt, you know, personally very good about being able to give a platform to South Asians and Black Asians and people who don't normally see themselves in these like mass media narratives to be able to like give them a platform and say, say, say what you wanna say and like tell me how your identity um, reflects in how you see beauty. And when I ran that package, I was like, I, I would love to see more of this. I would love to see more brands showing a wider range of what the API community looks like. And I understand, of course, like the challenges in getting those kinds of things approved. Um, but that for me was something that's always been very memorable in my career. And also just speaking out when, when these issues happen, I feel like even if not, I know not everyone agrees with what I say and that's fine. Like we don't live in a world where everyone has the same opinion. But my hope is always that when I post these things or when I just share my experience, it will resonate with even a handful of people who maybe are struggling to work through their feelings or who feel like they wish more of this would be in a more public conversation. And I've gotten some feedback from things that I've posted just over the past year because the past year has just been unfortunately full of tragic events, but also a lot of conversation openers within our community, I think. And a lot of people have told me like this really verbalizes or, or puts into words a lot of what I've been feeling inside. And I think that's why I do what I do. And I feel like my sort of power in life, I guess, is the written word or, or to be able to put these things into, you know, sentences or, or things for people to read. And I will, that, that's how I see myself being able to advance the conversation. And for you, I, I'm curious to know what you, what your sort of like calling is in your career to yeah. speak for our community. Yeah. yeah, no, I love that. As I've mentioned before, um, growing up actually, you know, reading Teen Vogue, Vogue magazine. Oh, you read Teen Vogue growing up? Yeah, 17, Allure, Birdie. These platforms have definitely been an inspiration to me and what influenced me to launch Hello Beauty. So as a makeup artist of over 10 years, working in the industry, being an Asian American Pacific Islander, where I definitely was always a minority. I mean, given like, you know, um, 
half of my career, I was in the Philippines. So I was not really a minority, but you know, <laughs> I would travel back and forth here in the US being on set. It was so visible how my book was just really filled. There was no representation of our own community. It was, if you look at my website, even until now, it's still lacking. It's a lot of Caucasian. Behind the makeup chair, the, all the interesting conversations happen. I really wanted to share these information to my viewers and listeners. And with people like you who are credible source in the beauty industry, I hear all these great information. And I really wanted to bring that forward to my audience. We may admire whatever we see online, but that's not what it is. We always have to remind them that there is a lot going on behind the, the glitz and glamour. And we just, I just want to deliver that message that inner beauty is the way to go. And like we said, it's easy to talk about trends, tips and tricks, but mm -hmm. the pressing issues of the beauty industry, I really wanted to highlight that and highlight founders and entrepreneurs in the beauty industry that are making great impact because they're Asian American. In, they're Pacific Islanders. So I just really wanted to highlight all of the great things that they're doing because they do deserve a platform as well. And I am using my connection with the beauty industry to give them that chance as well. And it's just so fulfilling every time I just hear their stories and be able to share that with the beauty community and connecting with you and being able to deliver that message in your thoughts because your words are so beautiful every time you post. It's like, it's very powerful I'm that I- ramble today, so- That's fine. I think my thoughts are a little scrambled today because honestly, it's um, after yeah, this, no. my head has been spinning, honestly. So I hope you're, you know, this conversation has made sense to you so far. Yeah, no, I mean, same, likewise. It's like, it's just hard to even begin to talk about this because there's just so many to unpack. And it's like, it's like, okay, what should we discuss first? And I know for just for like the benefit of the podcast, we have to be concise, but then definitely this is not going to be the last. We are going to be continuing more episodes. On. Yeah. Ongoing yeah. discussion. And I would definitely love to have you on again and multiple times because we need to just be updated in the beauty industry and also bring out these issues. And I think just being aware of what's going on behind the scenes is like, I think it's very valuable for the audience to have access to. I feel good about my contribution to our community with this regard. And also in the makeup side, whenever I do have the chance, I, I love recommending and connecting people. It's really important. I think especially right now at this time, I'm really realizing how how a lot of us have had shared experiences, I think, in the industry, but it's it's really comforting in a way to come together and feel like, you know, even if sometimes we're the only face in the room, there's a whole network of us and we're all, you know, pushing to make change in our own ways. I think that's very powerful to me. And I'm curious, actually, how what drew you to beauty in the first place? Oh my goodness, this is by chance, actually. So I, it's not like, oh, I never had this dream of being a makeup artist. It was by chance. So I, well, after college, I was like, I need to know how to put on makeup because I do not know how. And I need to book jobs or meaning, I mean, 
get a job, not book jobs. Like, because I say like book jobs, like, as if I'm, <laughs> yeah, it's more of like book jobs because I use that term as like a makeup artist, like book multiple jobs. <laughs> but yeah, like get into the corporate world, look presentable and professional because I did not know how to put on makeup. So I enrolled myself in Makeup Forever Academy as, oh, you know, wow. just a person, yeah, just a personal course. And mm-hmm. I got hooked. I was like, okay, I'm done. I got hooked just because, you know, I just enjoyed the makeup. Um, I don't know, learning about it. And after graduating the personal course, I was just like, okay, I mean, I think I'm interested enough to try right. like their professional beauty course, fashion and avant-garde. I just took all of the courses, just, just for myself, really, just because I was just naturally and genuinely interested in it. And they, my instructor was like, okay, seems like you're good enough. What are you doing this weekend? We have a shoot. You want to come? You know, just, it was just like that. And the first shoot that they sent me to, I was hooked. I was like, oh my goodness. Like, I, I enjoy this. And because, you know, it's just, for you. yeah. And I, it was, it was just like the, the feeling of creating something together. I enjoyed that, the process. And of course, like the makeup artistry, um, I honestly thought that when I got into makeup, you know, because I was not in the makeup world or like this whole like photo shoot world. I thought it was very superficial. It's like, okay, it's just makeup, you know, people use it to get pretty, but just be learning the education side of it and, you know, the history of makeup and especially, you know, how like Makeup Forever Academy, they're just like, they really teach you the core (laughs) techniques. Yeah. I would take your word for it. Yes. So I just appreciated the artistry that came with it. So, I mean, until they asked me to be part of their pro team and then I moved on to Shigemura's pro team. So I, yeah, that's just by chance. And since then I've just been hooked. So, and you know, since I'm, I still like exercising the other side of my brain and there's, that's why there's this podcast that I was compelled to create. And People have been asking me before to create a YouTube channel of, you know, just doing makeup, but I'm always, I always enjoy being behind the scenes. I don't think I can do a whole channel with me doing makeup on myself. I still try to do that on my reels. I, it's, it's a hard thing for me to do because I'm just so used to working behind the scenes, but you know, like that's you work. You have a happy medium though. This podcast is kind of Yes, yes. I love it. And I've always enjoyed listening to podcasts and it's really my jam. It's all about my guests. I love hearing their thoughts and having these conversations. <laughs> I feel like conversations. I'm, <laughs> I'm starting to interview you now, but I was really interested. No, no, no. In- I love it. Yeah, yeah. No, go ahead. Yeah. I mean, I love it. I love these exchanges. And yeah, that's really, it was by chance. And mm-hmm. I'm still here. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you must love it because 10 years later, here you are. Yeah, yeah. Now I'm doing more focus on my podcast though, because I really have this urge to just really bring out these messages and use my platform to have other voices and just be heard. Amazing. It's funny. I think we both like fell into beauty by chance and then we ended up staying because it sounds like more for the people than anything. I really love the message that you have been delivering through your work as a beauty editor. It has lasting impact because I go to these types of publications as my source of information. And of course, you know, these affect my way of thinking. So these have gravity to me. And I just look up to writers like you that have such a positive message and can connect it and intersect it with the beauty world. Yeah, I'm glad. I'm glad we got to cover a little bit of everything. 
Yeah, there's so much more. And I know that in our group chat, if there is a possible way for all the group chat podcasts, actually, (laughs) a fun one. What I enjoy about our group chat is that we talk about so many funny beauty things that are going on in the industry. But we also call out certain issues. I learned so much from you guys. You being in the trenches of the beauty industry, the information, I get it from you guys. I think we admire you because like <laughs> doing the makeup, people are always like, oh, so, you know, you're a makeup artist. No, <laughs> that's not my skill set. I wish, but it's great. I think that we can have these conversations and exchanges and learn from each other. And I don't know, I lo- like you said, like our group chat is just, it's a real conversation. So I think we get to talk about a little bit of everything, which we also did today. And yeah, it's just, this is what I love about beauty. So here at Hello Beauty, we have a philosophy and it's say hello to the beauty in you. What advice can you give to those who are trying to discover their beauty within? I think that discovering beauty within is a process that has to come from within. And it's not so much advice as just acknowledging that a lot of us grow up with many messages from society, from outside of us that dictate what beauty should look like in a very narrow standard that is not it's not true. And I think if you're on a process or a journey to discover the beauty within, it's it's really a lifelong ongoing process of unlearning a lot of these messages, unlearning a lot of these coded beliefs that society kind of like drums into us as we're growing up. And it's not, it's not something that I think ever stops really, because a lot of these things sit with us from so young that um, it's more of something like an ongoing progress as you grow, unlearning what other people have told you is beautiful and thinking about what you really believe is beautiful about yourself. And I don't know that that's a process that ever stops, but I think it is something that the more you are able to unpack those beliefs and find out what you think for yourself, the more you're able to sit comfortably with your version of beauty. And yeah, that's what I think about that. Where can they find you and connect with you? So I'm on Instagram at say.wu because every variation of Sarah Wu was taken on social media. Oh my gosh. By the time I signed up. So yeah, you can find me on Instagram there. And yeah, I'm happy to continue the conversation if anyone listening wants to chat on there. Uh, you guys should definitely follow her. She shares some recipes and a lot of beauty hacks. <laughs> Your yeah, cake recipe. I, yeah, yeah. I have yet to try that. I'm actually honestly intimidated because it looks very pretty. I'm like, I don't wanna, I don't wanna ruin this recipe. <laughs> it's so funny because so what I made was a, a Taiwanese cake that's mm-hmm. I guess we can call it Taiwanese castella, but like how we say it in Taiwanese is just like sponge cake <laughs> because it's oh, just yeah. like a cake there. And I remember I posted that and then I had a bunch of Taiwanese friends messaging me like, can't you just go to the supermarket and buy this? And I was like, no, I'm in Germany. <laughs> like, <laughs> we have it here. <laughs> but yeah, you should definitely no, get a chance. Yeah, I'll try it. I'll muster up all my courage to cr- recreate what you did. Thank you so much, Sarah. I had such a great time speaking me. with you.